What's up, young adults? Last week we started a series called Tale of Two Kingdoms, and Doug preached about the reality that while we live here in Denver, Colorado in 2015, there are actually two kingdoms at work in our lives. In Genesis, God describes creation and Him creating all of man and the world and the stars. And in it, it talks about the entry of sin. The moment that sin enters into the world, it not only wreaks havoc on the soul of man, but it wreaks havoc on all of creation and on this kingdom. And so what about right now? Right now in 2015, this world has everything we could possibly want. Credit cards, sex, money, power. We can have instant gratification in social media. We have the ability to have success. We can buy houses that we want and live where we want to live and go where we want to go. This place has everything that we could ever possibly want. And yet, it has nothing that we need. Jesus, in the Gospels and in the book of Matthew, describes a different kind of kingdom. And he says that there's a kingdom of this world, but there's also a different kingdom, and it's the kingdom of heaven. And in it, he describes that the kingdom of heaven is like a great and beautiful pearl. He says this pearl is so valuable, it's so worthy, it's so beautiful, that it's worth literally everything you have in this world. He's trying to describe two different things to us today. He's saying that my kingdom is worthy, it's valuable, it's, it's beautiful, and it has so much inherent value. And the second thing he's trying to describe to us in 2015 is, church, this kingdom is worth you giving up everything in this world in order to pursue it. And so welcome to Red Rocks Young Adults, and welcome to week two of A Tale of Two Kingdoms. How are we doing? <laughs> All right. Happy Thursday night. How's everybody's fantasy teams doing? Yeah? Okay. That's, that's what we're dealing with. That was awesome. This is one person that got first picks. The rest of us, right? No, this is my year, guys. I can feel it. This is my year. I can feel it in my bones. I've gotten last place a couple of times, and so this has got to be it for me. It's got to be it. Otherwise, I will be the laughing stock of all my friends. So um, welcome to week two. We have been in a series, and it's just a two-weeker, but it's a series that we thought would be super important, and it's called A Tale of Two Kingdoms. And if you missed last week, um, let me just tell you guys, you missed a very special night. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything, um, but yeah, you missed out. Um, Doug preached, and it was just special. It was just a special night. I felt the Lord in such an incredible way. It was a timely word. And so if you missed it, please go back to rrya.org, listen to it, get caught up. But Doug talked about the reality that we live in the kingdom of the world, and that the kingdom of the world is like a river that's going one way, and the kingdom of God is like a river that's going the exact opposite direction. And um, when you read the Bible and we, we engage with the Bible, it talks a lot about the world. It actually gives some assets and some attributes about the world, and it says things like this. It says that the world will attempt to take us captive through empty deceit and empty philosophy. 
It says things like that if you're a Christian, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It says things like the world um, is full of pride and pride in possessions. It says things like the world and its desires, everything that the world is aiming for, the, the things that the world tries to go after, that all of those things fade away. It says that Satan who's the prince of this world, even though Jesus and our king is the king over all and has dominion over all and reigns over all and is, has ownership over all. There is a power and a force and a person at work within the world named Lucifer. And he is at work here. And it says that he parades around like an angel of light. In other words, that he looks like he has good intentions. But he doesn't. The Bible also says that to be friends with the world is to be enemies with God. Meaning exactly what Doug talked about last week, that it is impossible as a Christian to say, you know what, I've got one foot in the river of the world and one foot in the river of the kingdom. At that point, we lose our balance. We're just not able to stand. And I thought that tonight we would talk about the reality of God's kingdom and the, the river that's heading the opposite direction of the world. Because scripture tells us that the only reason that we're able to be in God's kingdom and that we're able to be a part of God's kingdom is that Jesus, through his atonement and through his grace and through the breaking of his body, actually plucked us out of the river of the world and placed us into the river of the kingdom. Colossians 1 says this. It says, he rescued us out of the domain of darkness and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so tonight, and I'm stoked, I'm pumped, um, we have the honor, the privilege of engaging with Jesus tonight and of talking about his kingdom, talking about um, his very present, very real, very powerful kingdom. And the question that I want us to think about tonight uh, before we engage and every single person in here, every single believer in here to engage with tonight and to think about is just this question Is it possible for God's kingdom to reach the darkest of domains here? Is it possible for God's kingdom to reach the darkest of domains right here? And so before we get into tonight, let's pray, ask Jesus to be here. Holy Spirit, I thank you for tonight. We welcome you. I pray for every single person in here. I pray for people who don't know you. I pray for people who do know you, God, that we would equally be moved by your spirit. I pray uh, that you would take the stage. I love you so much. I'm so grateful for your life. Without it, I have nothing. And um, God, I just pray uh, just a special, a special blessing tonight. Come, Jesus, we love you. In your name. And everybody said amen. All right. How many of you love flying? Yeah, I love to fly, you guys. I love it. I love, I love, like, as a kid, I used to love, like, I had my own little princess backpack, and I'd put on my princess backpack, and I'd be like, Mom, you know, and I'd be stoked and getting on a plane. I always felt like, like, we could be going to Kansas, and I was just like, I love my life. Like, I'm so excited to get on a plane. It felt like such an adventure, and I am not sponsored. I want you to know that. I don't get kickbacks, but I do have a favorite airline. Um... It's Southwest Airlines. Can I get an amen? They are on time. They are cheap. Preach, college students. They are cheap. 
And, and if, you, if you were to get on a plane today, more likely than not, you're going to have like a stand-up comedian who is going to show you um, where to go in case of an emergency, right? And I love Southwest Airlines. But uh, recently, John and I were flying, and we were on not that airline. We were on uh, the airline that will not be named tonight. And um, we were flying home from Houston, and we had had a wonderful trip. And we're flying home, and I kind of do the whole thing where I'm like, oh, I'm starting to get cold, and I'm kind of a small person anyway, and I'm starting to, you know, freeze on their freezing cold planes, and, and you know, all of the big businessmen with, like, their suits and stuff, they're doing fine, but I'm starting to get really chilly, and I'm looking at John, and I forgot my jacket, and so I wave to the lady, and I'm like, oh, hey, you know. Hey, and, and she comes over, and they always treat you like you are a five-year-old child that's annoying them, right? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, I, I'm so sorry, but hey, could I get a blanket possibly? Um, and she's like, I'll be right back, right? And I'm like, cool, okay. And I wait there, and she comes back, and it's this little um, blue thing, and I take it, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I must have, I must have not. I actually, I wanted a blanket. And um, she, she says, that is our blanket. And I'm like, oh, okay. Thank, you know, and so um, I start to unfold this thing, and I'm starting to try to get cozy up under it, right? And it's essentially like one of those, like, paper things that you wear when you get your teeth cleaned. Like, the, like that's really what it is. Really, and, um, and I picture her up front, like, <laughs> like talking to her friends, like, <laughs> you guys, this idiot back there. I gave her a napkin <laughs> and told her it was a blanket, you know? And, and I'm, I'm sitting next to John, and I'm like, oh, this sucks, you know? And I'm just trying to get under it and try to wiggle under it, and it's, like, papery and scratchy and whatever. And I just had this moment where I was like, dude, surely, like, this is not what a blanket should be. I have had many blankets, and they're warm and cozy and cottony and just love that surrounds you. You know, this is not what a blanket should be. And have you ever had those moments where you're walking through your day or you're watching the news, and you look around and you think, this is not how it should be? Just recently, we're watching the refugee crisis take place in Europe from a situation that has been going on for, in Syria for a long, long time now, with Assad and with ISIS, and there's all these different factors that are happening that are making these people flee, and we look at the news, and we see these toddlers lying on a beach, and we think this is not how it should be. We hear about abortions and the fact that they're taking place at 4,000 babies a day, and we think to ourselves, this is not how it should be. We hear about racism, still prevalent today, still here today, and we think this isn't something on our gut level, even if you're not a Christian, knows this is not, this is not right. This is not how it was supposed to be. And God says you are exactly right, church. This is not how it was supposed to be because God isn't capable of authoring anything like that. In fact, what he authored was completely perfect. He's only capable of authoring glory. And at creation, everything was perfect and every piece of creature was perfect. But then sin entered the world and it wreaked devastation. And what we see on the news and what we experience in our world today is a byproduct of the fall of the world and the fall of man. 
And C.S. Lewis says, you know, there's, there's this feeling within us that even though the world is this way, we still long for something that's true and right and real. We still long for what should be, do we not? And C.S. Lewis writes and he says that, that feeling inside of us, he says, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. What C.S. Lewis is writing about is the reality that you and me as creatures of God and made as image bearers of God, that we were built to be in a kingdom that was perfect, that there is actually a kingdom that fits our soul like a glove. It fits us so perfectly. And he says, he says if, you, if you are feeling this way, it is because you are built for that kingdom. And so tonight we're going to investigate this kingdom just a little bit. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelations 21. If you haven't done your Bible reading um, this week or this month, we're going to read a lot. And so um, aren't you glad you came to church because then you can pretend like you read all this. Okay, so (laughs) Revelations 21, it says this about God's kingdom. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old or meaning the way that things are now, has passed away. One of the seven angels had seven bowls full of seven last plagues, came to me and said, and this is John that he came to, and he says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to the mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, and it shone like the glory of God, and its brilliance was like the very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. I did not see the temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Amen. And the city does not need sun. It does not need a moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it its light and the Lamb is its lamp. And the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, nor will there be night there. Why? Because it's lit by the glory of God. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing will be impure that ever enters into it, nor will anyone who does um, what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture that the Holy Spirit gives us through that. And there are some attributes and some beautiful things that God, I, I, I know he wants to communicate about what his kingdom is like so that we can get an idea about what it's like and what he wants and what he desires and what he, he creates and what the kingdom is actually like. And the first thing is this, that his kingdom is all about his closeness. His kingdom is all about his closeness. It says that he will come and dwell with his people and they will be his people and he will be their God. And right now, if you are a Christian, here's the deal. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and that's amazing and incredible and a miracle and a gift. But what he's talking about is God the Father actually dwelling with his people. Something that we don't experience now. Something that we haven't experienced since Adam and Eve walked among the garden. He says, I will be their people. 
or I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell among them. I will be with them. The whole point is me getting close. And he says, they will be my bride and this will be our wedding. And I've been married for six years now and um, whoop. Um, <laughs> marriage is awesome. I married a good one, y'all. I just, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. I'm so blessed. Um, he really is. He's um, the leader of our home. He's the leader of my heart. And what you see up here is a reflection of John Davis. And so I hope you know that. Um, uh-huh. Um, I hope all of you guys in here know that, that just because a girl's up here that's, you know, preaching at you and getting crazy, um, it by no way, shape, or form doesn't mean that he's not the leader of our home and the leader over me. And so I'm very grateful, um, excuse me, for him. Um, uh, but we've been married for six years, and our life is busy, and we'll uh, go to church, and we do the thing, and we, got, you know, we go to youth stuff, and we go to young adult stuff, and we go out with couples, and we're trying to you know, be good parents and be with Brooklyn and hang out and stuff, and our life will get so busy that we'll like, go out on date nights, and literally we'll sit down, and we're so excited, and we're like, oh, hi, how are you? And we are married, we are in covenant, and we love each other very much, and we have a wonderful marriage. But there are times where we need that closeness, and this is what God is talking about. He's saying, I don't just want you to read your Bibles. I don't just want you to pray to me or to think about me every now and then or to acknowledge that I exist. I want to dwell with you. Hey, how are you? This kind of closeness is what his kingdom brings. He will dwell with his people. Number two, his kingdom resolves all pain. His kingdom resolves all pain. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order. How things are all right now will have passed away. There are people in this room that have experienced and are experiencing deep and profound pain. And what you need to understand is that he doesn't author that stuff. He doesn't. He allows it, and he will use it according to Romans 8, but he didn't make it. It's not what he made. It's not what he wanted, and that's surely not the way things will be in the end. He resolves it. Just recently, I was listening to a pastor named Levi Lusco, who I respect very much, and he has four daughters, him and his wife. Um, They're all under the age of 10. And uh, just a couple Christmases ago, five days before Christmas, his second oldest, who was five years old, um, his wife was wrapping presents in one room, and she was in the other room. Her name's Lenya. And she had an asthma attack. And by the time they found her, she was unconscious. And Levi scooped her into his arms, and, and she passed away. Just right there. It's like every parent's nightmare. And... I was listening to him preach, and it was two weeks after his daughter had passed away. Profound pain. Profound pain. And I listened to him preach, and he said with such assurance, and he looked straight into the crowd, and he said, where I have placed my anchor is in his kingdom. And he says, let me tell you, church, and you could just see (laughs) the resolution in his eyes. He said, my anchor held fast. And then he said, you know, this, this, this death that we experience as Christians, this death that we know as Christians, it's the bend. It's not the end. And I know where Lenya is. I know what kind of kingdom she's in. And it's a beautiful kingdom where there is no pain and there is no asthma. That's where she belongs. His kingdom resolves 
all pain, church. Number three, his kingdom is beautiful and it's worthy. It says, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Um, if you have grandparents who are Christians or whatever, some older generations that are Christians, they like to talk about the pearly gates, or maybe you've heard this term, like the pearly gates, and they'll talk about the city of gold. And there's a reason people talk like this, because in Revelations, when it's describing God's kingdom, it says it's literally made out of things like gold. It says it's literally made out of things like that. And I picture kind of like, you know, Dorothy, um, you know, going to the land of Oz. And she gets taken up by a tornado and like dropped off. And then she's on her way to Emerald City with her weird friends. And, <laughs> and she sees this city and it's not made of anything that she's ever seen before. And she's like, well, we're not in Kansas anymore. And it's like, you think? Like... <laughs> You know? And that's his kingdom. It says that right now in this world, we shall know in part and we shall see in part. But when we go to heaven, that we shall know the way that we are fully known. We will see the reality, the truer reality than what we are experiencing right here and right now. God's kingdom is beautiful and worthy, and that's what he's trying to communicate in Revelations 21, but he doesn't just talk about it there. In Matthew 13, Jesus is trying to describe the kingdom of heaven to his disciples and to people around him, and he says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When the man found it, he hid it again, and then with joy, oh, and in his joy, he went away sold all that he had, and then bought the field. And then he says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything that he had, and then he bought it. So he tells two stories with the same point. And he says, uh, you know, it's like a, a treasure that's hidden in a field, that's buried in a field. And in first century Judea, there wasn't very many banks. You'd have to be a little bit more wealthy in, in order to invest in like a bank. And so what people would do is they would gain these treasures and they'd gain, you know, pieces of silver and gold and they would literally go hide them. And Josephus, um, a, a historian, talks about this. He says they would literally go bury them in a field so that war or like robbers couldn't take it. And so Jesus is describing a field that's been there for, you know, a long time. It's been deserted for whatever reason. This man goes, he finds this treasure in a field. It's miraculous. And he goes away, and because he knows what that treasure is worth, church, he goes away and he sells everything that he has just so that he can go buy this field. Because this field is worth way more than everything that he has. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And then he describes it as a pearl. He says it's like a pearl merchant who's going and he's looking for this perfect pearl. And when he finds it, he goes away and he gives, he sells all of his belongings. And he sells everything that he has in order to gain this pearl. Jesus is trying to explain to us that God's kingdom, even though the world may seem great and our assets may seem great and the things that we're maybe pursuing may seem great, that they are nothing. They're literally nothing compared to how good and how worthy his kingdom is. It's worthy and it's beautiful. Number four, his kingdom is for him. Um, I did not see a temple in this city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city did not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. 
He says there's no need for a temple anymore because I'm not bound by a temple. There's no need for a son. I don't need no son. My radiance, that's what God says, my radiance will be its light. And I think Jesus is trying to communicate, God is trying to communicate to us something that we often forget in the modern church. And it's that um, even though God loves us, even though we are his masterpiece, even though he created us, he is the point of his kingdom. Even though we are likened into his image and even though he would do anything in order to redeem us, and that is his heart's desire for his people is to bring them back to himself. The glory of God is the point of this whole thing. And you might wonder, well, what's the point of my life? Well, what's the point of my life? The point of your life isn't a point. It's a person. And he's the goal. He's the goal. The kingdom of God. This is the kingdom. This is what it's like. And so you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, gosh, it sounds amazing. And it is. It sounds beautiful. But maybe you're thinking like I was thinking this week where it's like, well, Lord, this sounds amazing. And it's so great to fix my eyes on your kingdom. And it's so great to think about what is to come. It's so amazing. But God, here's the thing. I'm still living here in this world. I'm, I'm, I'm in this thing even though I'm bound for that thing. And um, earlier this week, John and I got to take some friends out on the lake, and we took some young adult staff out, and we went and had some fun and went out on the speedboat. And there's a place that we go where we eat food and we feed ducks and stuff, so we're, like, eating our sandwiches. And I love animals. (laughs) Um, I'm kind of a geek that way. And I love all kinds of animals. I love all of them. I just think God's creation is so incredible. I love colorful butterflies and caterpillars. I think he's so creative. Um, I love very, like, chippery, you know, chipmunks. Like, they're just, like, like they're so humorous to me. And I'm like, that's your humor, Lord, like in this, this chipmunk right here. And I love animals. Um, but there's, like, a couple animals I don't like. And one of them, and I'm pretty sure it's not, I don't know that it was created by the Lord at all, um, is a goose. I hate them. I hate them. I really do. And uh, so we're back there and we're feeding the ducks. And then these, like, they're like bullies. They, like, come up in packs. And they're like, you know, like, sup. And, like, these ducks are like, oh, gosh run away, you know, and they're, like, trying to get away from these stupid geese, and um, we started, like, spraying them with um, these big water guns we have on the boat. We're like, get away, geese. You're so stupid. Don't call PETA. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so, and so, but a a few weeks prior to this, John and I were out on the boat, and we're hanging out on the back of the boat, like, where the deck is, and this goose kind of comes up, like, hey, feed me some food. Hey, feed me some food. And we were like, no, like, you're so ugly, and you're like, poop. You're like, you're like pooping in the water right there. No. And, um, and no joke, you guys, this goose gets up, and it gets up on the back deck like a foot from John. And it's like, what's up? <laughs> Give me some food. And then it was like, you know. And I literally was thinking about it this week. I was like, Lord, and just, just go with me, church. Just go with me. I was like, Lord, this is what the world is like. Like, like it's aggressive, like it's a bully, like it doesn't care that you have boundaries or you're trying to live a good life or trying to be kind. Like it's in your face, it's relentless, 
And I was like, Lord, this is what the world is like. And so how, how are we supposed to be a part of your kingdom here in this aggressive and gross world? Because you told me, Jesus, you told me that this is how it's supposed to be. Jesus in scripture teaches us how to pray. And he says this in Matthew 6. He says, we hallow the name of the Father. And then we say, and we pray this way, your kingdom come here. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Judah Smith says this is, if there is a Christian creed, this is it. As it is in heaven on earth. This is it. This is what he jokes about as being the subtitle of the Bible. This is it. And so I'm praying and I'm like, God, but great idea, and I want to do it, but how? How do we do this? I was studying this week about God's kingdom and how we bring God's kingdom to earth. Like, what does that even mean? Is that just like something mystical we all get excited about and then leave and we have no idea how to do it? Like, what does it mean to have God's kingdom come to earth? And um, scholars and Bible teachers, and I was listening to a specific Bible teacher this week, talk about the kingdom of God, and there's actually different forms of the kingdom of God. There's a couple different, I'm going to just talk about three of them. There's the universal kingdom of God, which is the fact that God has ownership and dominion and authority over everything, even though the world is fallen. He owns it. It still belongs to him. It'll return to him. He can do whatever he wants with it. Ultimately, he's in charge. There's the eternal kingdom of God, which we talked about in Revelations 21, which after uh, the second coming of Jesus and the new heaven and the new earth, there will be an eternal kingdom that is perfect where he reigns forever, and that is the eternal kingdom of God. And then there's this last one, and it's called God's mediated kingdom. And what this Bible teacher talked about was the reality that in the Old Testament, God would mediate his kingdom on earth through people. And he did it through patriarchs. He did it through kings. He did it through prophets. And then the Bible teacher talked about the fact that in 2015 and in the New Testament covenant, how God mediates his kingdom right now is through his church. It's through us. And I heard that. And something in me, even though I knew this was true, I did. I felt it in my heart that this was true, that we are to mediate his kingdom. This just backed up everything I was already thinking and then brought brevity into my soul in a new way. God says in our day that he will mediate his kingdom through us. And I thought, as I was listening and studying, really, Lord? <laughs> like, through your church. <laughs> I mean, no offense to us, right? But, like, we're kind of broken, Jesus. I mean, we need some help. We make mistakes. We're kind of, when, at the end of the day, we're kind of a bunch of idiots. Like, we're trying. But this is us. Like, this is how you, this is how you want to mediate your perfect and glory-filled king. This is how you want to do it. And then I thought about who Jesus was talking to when he said Matthew 6, and he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to Peter who cuts off a dude's ear. And he's talking to James and John who tried to call down thunder because some people made them angry. 
He's talking to Philip. He's talking to these people, these young adults who probably had more ambition than they had self-control. And he said, these are the people who are going to mediate my kingdom. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, fellas. And you are the cornerstone and on you I will build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to stop it. And so it's your church. This is his plan. Whether you like it or not or whether you feel up to it or not or whether you feel good enough or not, this is his plan. And Doug talked about last week that we are at a crossroads, and I believe that we are, where the church can either decide, you and I, we are the church. We can either decide that we are going to be the church and bring God's kingdom or not. And I believe, we, I believe he's right. I think we are at a very crucial, crucial time in history. A few years ago, I went to Israel, and I got to um, visit some sites in Israel. This was right after college. And um, I got to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher where they believe by tradition that Jesus was buried and resurrected. And so there's this beautiful church that's built upon it. And um, at one point, there's like this beautiful dome that's built in the church. And it's got these stars and these heavenly looking things. And in the stars, the tour guide told me they would use actual gold like plating to, to fill the stars so that when people would come into the church, their thoughts and their eyes and their hearts and their spirits would be drawn to heaven and we would think about God's kingdom. And it was so beautiful and so wonderful. And if you go to churches in Europe or you go to churches, you know, um, I don't know, in Ireland, which is part of Europe, just ignore that I said that. Um, just whatever. You go to these churches and this is what you see is, that, is these beautiful ornate things that draw our spirits up to heaven. And, and not only that, but they have these amazing, you know, they, they have all this history of church movement. And I thought to myself, this is so incredible. This church is so amazing. And yet this church isn't doing the one thing Jesus said to do. It's drawing our thoughts to heaven, but it is in no way, shape, or form drawing heaven to earth. And it's just a house for tourists. And so, in 2015, would we be the type of people that said, we would be your church? Not an empty space for tourists to come in a thousand years from now. Not a place that just draws our spirits up into heaven, but a place that says, God your heaven come down and let us be the people that bring it. So the question I have is the question that I had for you at the beginning of the night. Is it possible to bring God's kingdom to even the darkest of domains? And if so, how? Here and how now? In the Old Testament, Solomon, who's a king and who uh, was a king during the golden era, okay, it was the most affluential and arguably the, the best time in Israel's history. He reigns and they're prosperous and Solomon gives a clue into the key of his kingdom. He turns his heart back to God and he turns Israel's heart back to God. And in 2 Chronicles, he's talking about how this all came about. And 2 Chronicles gives us a key of how to be God's church right now. And it says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their lands. This scripture, even though it is from the Old Testament, is kingdom language for us and it is New Testament language for us today. 
And this is what it means for us. And so stay with me because this is where it gets practical. Number one, he says, if my people, if my people who are called by my name, it's God's people who bring change. In 2015, when you watch the news or you listen to pundits or whatever, everybody's trying to blame the problems of the world on everybody else. It's like, well, why is this refugee you know, crisis happening? Is it hungry? Is it, is it Syria's fault? Is it Assad's fault? Is it ISIS's? Like everybody's just fighting about whose fault it is. Well, who's, um, we've got an environmental problem. Well, whose fault is it? Is it big oil? Is it consumers not wanting to drive hybrids? Like, whose fault is it? It's somebody's fault. And Jesus is trying to point out the fact that as the church, we are to take responsibility for the state of the world. He says, if my people, that's who he's addressing. He's not addressing the world. If my people who are called by my name And Doug talked about this last week, but here's the deal, you guys. The world can't save the world. (laughs) The world can't save the world. Martin Luther King put it this way. He said, darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. You know where he got that? He got that from Romans 12, where it says evil can't be overcome with evil. You have to overcome evil with good. And Chris Kane puts it this way. She says, don't be mad at the world for acting like the world. Be mad at the church for not acting like the church. Jesus is saying we are to be taking responsibility for this. We are to be the salt. We are to be the light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's our responsibility. He says, if my people, so he's addressing us, if my people will humble themselves, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. We live in a time, and I'm not addressing everybody in here because not everybody in here struggles with this problem, but in general, we live in a generation that is obsessed with ourselves. We love ourselves. We love to talk about ourselves. As Jim Gaffigan likes to say, we go to the gym and we look at the mirrors and we work on ourselves as we look at ourselves. Like, we love ourselves. We love ourselves. There was a book that was recently published called Generation Me. And it's all about how we're a generation and we live in a generation, I'm sorry to say, that just loves ourselves. And because of it, we're the most unhappy generation to have ever graced the earth. And while this is a generational maybe problem right now, this isn't anything new. Israel struggled this way. They just struggled in different ways. They would turn away from God and they would worship Baal or they would worship idols or they would worship other gods. And in 2015, if I may be so bold and I'm not totally sure that I'm right, but I think one of our biggest struggles and our biggest idols is worshiping us and saying, I'm worthy of all of this glory and this spotlight. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you want to be my church that brings my kingdom, you will humble yourself. You will humble yourself. And what he's saying right there, that humility, that does not mean that you think you suck. That doesn't mean that you have self-pity. Do you know that self-pity actually has to do with you too? It's like, oh, I'm looking at myself and I feel pity for myself. I'm so sad about myself. Like, no, that's not humility. Humility is saying I'm made in the image of God and he loves me so much, but you're God and I'm not. You're the creator of everything and I'm your creation. You made it all. 
Jesus, you had the body that was perfect and holy enough and the life that was holy enough that was broken for me so that I could partake in your kingdom. Humbling ourselves before God. God says, if you humble yourself and then you seek my face, and I know that sometimes seeking his face and prayer can seem abstract, but listen to me. Second Chronicles and all throughout the Bible, God is literally just waiting to do his will. And what prayer does in, is enact his will here on earth. That's exactly what prayer does. You say, God, your kingdom come. God, help me in this. God, we pray for this. And it allows his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, if my people will humble themselves and if they will pray and seek my face, I will be able to move. That's what he's saying. If my people, number three, will repent. If the church, if us, if young adults in 2015 will repent. Second Chronicles says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Jesus is saying here, look, if you want to change the world, you have to change your heart. Judgment, it talks about in the New Testament, comes first to the house of Israel, meaning that judgment comes first to us. <laughs> it doesn't come to the world. It comes first to us. And he says, if you want to change the world, you need to gear your heart and repent and come back to me. You need to take a long and healthy look at yourself and say, God, forgive me. Forgive us. Repentance is this beautiful thing, and we don't talk about it much in the 2015 church, but repentance is so beautiful. It says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And repentance is literally going in one direction and then having conviction, not condemnation, but having conviction from Jesus come into your life and saying, you know what, that's good, and I'm coming back to you, God. And everything that I have is coming back to you. That's what it is. And he says, if you will repent, I can move. And don't you think it's interesting that he says, you know, church, if you get the world to turn from its wicked ways and their sins and come back to me. No, he says, Church, if you will turn from your wicked ways, I can move on your behalf. Then you guys can come back out here. Maybe it's time for us to do some internal inventory and to take an honest look at ourselves and to say, God, search me and know my innermost thoughts. Test my anxious ways and lead me in the path to everlasting. Maybe tonight if we did that, Actually, not maybe. I know that tonight, if we did that, God promises he will move. Um, there's been, in the last 500 years of church, there have been uh, 500 years of church in America and church in Europe, there have been a number of revivals that have dramatically shifted this nation and the world. And I'm not over-exaggerating. The first was the Great Awakening. It happened in the 1700s. The second Great Awakening happened in the late 1700s. And then there was the third Great Awakening. And pe people like Charles Finney and Jonathan Edwards led the way. And every single one of these revivals, you guys, took place because people, not because people got all like hyped up and were like, we're going to change the world for God. Do you know what they did? They repented. They repented and said, God, I'm so sorry. I take responsibility for where we're at right now. I take responsibility for my heart. 
There was a Jesus movement that happened in the 60s and 70s, and it started with a group of young adults on Asbury College that said, I will repent. I will repent, and I will turn from my wicked ways and return to you, God. And then God promises us this, that when we do this, he will bring his kingdom. He will bring his kingdom. Second Chronicles says this, if my people who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear, heal their land. Now I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be a church that sits by and says, God, it'd be so great. Your second coming's gonna be so awesome. Can't wait until then. This whole thing can go down the crapper. People talk that way in the church. I want to be a part of a church that says, no, until your kingdom come and until your second coming, I will bring your kingdom and I will humble myself and I will seek your face and I will turn my heart back to you and turn from my wicked ways and I will repent for the state of our world, for things that keep me up at night and that make me so sad and break my heart and I know they break your heart. I will repent for those. And you say, and God says this, this is not Jesse talking, God says that if we do this, that he will hear us, this is what America needs, that he will forgive us and he will heal us. Guys, what more do we need right now in our world than forgiveness and God hearing us and healing right now? This is what we need. And God says, will you be a part of bringing my kingdom? It can start right here in your chair. And so if everybody would stand tonight, we're going to be taking communion. There's um, gluten-free because we live in a fallen world. (laughs) And Jesus said, this is my body that was broken for you. And this is my blood that was shed for you. And church, if you would humble yourself, and tonight as you take communion and as you partake with him, Would you just for a moment reflect on the depravity of your heart and say, God, thank you so much that you forgive me, that you love me, that I can come back to you. God, that you are capable of healing us. God, that you're the one that brings redemption and brings your kingdom. And God, we will cry out to you. We will seek you. We will humble ourselves. And God, we just ask you to move at that point. And so when you take communion, ready your hearts for communion and then worship him because he is the author and he is the creator and he is the king and his kingdom will always reign. And with every head bowed in here, I just wanna ask one question. If you don't know Jesus tonight, if you don't know him, (laughs) let me tell you, friend, like you, I get it. Like this world has sold you a bag of goods and none of them have panned out, but his kingdom is real. He's coming again. And tonight, if you would like to receive him, I would love to just open that up for you. If you're in here and you say, I would love to receive Jesus tonight, would you just slip up your hand nice and high in the air? Amen. 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 Awesome. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your kingdom.
God, I thank you for worship. I thank you for the fact that I get to live with you forever. I thank you for um, the fact that you're moving in your church, that we can be a part of your bringing your kingdom here, God. And I pray that tonight that we would humble ourselves, that we would seek your face, that we would turn from our wicked ways, God, and that you would hear us, that you would forgive us, and that you would heal us. I love you, Jesus, because you are who you say you are. You will do what you said you will do right here, right now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Let's worship. <laughs>